Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. Sometimes our understanding of a story comes down to how we place ourselves in that story, how we identify with the characters who are at the center of that story. That's often the case with the parables of Jesus, especially in the old and familiar story of the prodigal son. Because in many ways, how we understand that particular parable depends on how we look at it from a certain point of view. That's the subject of a new sermon series we're beginning today. It's all about the parable of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. And today we begin with some thoughts on the prodigal himself. It's a message entitled, Coming to Yourself. Once there was a man who had two sons. And so begins Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. No doubt one of the most familiar and best loved stories in the Gospels. Not to mention the stuff of countless sermons from countless pulpits across the centuries. And I ask, why not? It, after all, it's a story, a riveting story of sin and redemption, of mercy and forgiveness, of grace freely given and grace refused, of anguish, despair, giving way to joy and celebration. Truly, this little story that Jesus told of a wayward and rebellious son is one of those great stories that even those with only a nodding relationship to Holy Scripture will immediately recognize. I know that story. In fact, I dare say this is a story that is so familiar to our postmodern ears that the truth may be that it's lost a little bit of its power. Emory University's Thomas Long, he has said it very well when he wrote that, that once this story begins, we already know where this one is going, right? Never mind the shattered relationship with the boy's father. Forget the anguished lament later on that he's no longer worthy of being called the man's son. Or for that matter, ignore, if you will, the fetid stench of the pigsty. I like saying that. <laughs> because fear not, writes Long. The boy's coming home. He's always going to come home. And we end up left with a moral to the story that goes a little bit like this. Hey, no matter how badly you have messed up life, pick yourself up because a ready supply of forgiveness is awaiting you and you can start over right where you left off. Well, I'll admit that there's certainly some truth in that particular conclusion. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that's not entirely the message that Jesus intended when he first told that story. Jesus, in fact, meant for this tale of the man with two sons to not only be surprising and riveting, but actually 
downright shocking with all of its twists and turns. You know the best movies that in the, the final moments everything is turned upside down and everything you thought about it uh, turned out not to be true because there was a big twist at the end? That's what Jesus wanted from this story. Now, as you will remember, because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, this parable of the prodigal son was actually the third of three parables that Jesus was telling in response to those grumbling scribes and Pharisees who were all upset that Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. First, you'll remember, there's the parable of one lost sheep amongst 99 or amongst 100, followed by the parable of the lost coin. Again, two very familiar stories. And the message of both of those stories is that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So he had already told these two stories to, to the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody gathered. But then, as though this weren't enough to make his point with those grumbling scribes and Pharisees, Jesus then offers up the third story about sin and repentance that in some ways might be considered Jesus' own coup de grace. And the beauty part is that no matter how you hear the story, no matter where you might happen to find yourself in the midst of this particular story, who you identify with in this story, at the end of it all, you're inevitably going to find out just about everything you need to know about the infinite love of God and the nature of true forgiveness. And so that's why we're going to take a couple of weeks here now to, to do a deep dive into this text. Because there's a whole lot that we can say in about, uh, talk about in this oft-told story of this man with two sons especially when we look at it with fresh eyes and from a certain point of view. And we're going to start this morning by looking at it from the point of view of the prodigal himself. This younger son who goes to his father and demands, mind you, it's not asks, but demands, that he receive his share of the family's inheritance up front. Now, first of all, what we need to understand here is that such a request was in and of, was in and of itself shocking. It was actually downright offensive because Jewish custom at the time was that when a father passed away, the eldest son would get two-thirds of the estate, or a double portion, as it was often called. And then the next youngest son, the remaining one-third. That's how it was. But of course, what made this demand so bad, so, and so much worse, is that dad, he's still alive. And, and alive and well. To quote the Reverend William Flippin, Jr., this younger son, quote, commits an egregious offense by basically saying, Pop, I really wish you were already dead. 
So forget the family business. And for that matter, let's just forget the whole family. I am out of here. No. See what I mean here about our familiarity with this story kind of taking the sting out of what's happening? I mean, usually our read on this, right, is, is, oh yeah, the younger son is going to take his father's money and now he's going to run off towards, wait for it, wild and reckless living. We know where this story is headed. We've heard it too many times. But to see the thing is what we need to realize is it's much, much more than that. What Jesus makes clear in these opening verses is the younger son has in fact greatly offended his loving father than for no other fact than that he was still breathing. So now what we've got is this suddenly wealthy kid who could care less who he might have hurt in his quest to live it up somewhere, anywhere other than home. Simply put, he is willful, foolish, self-centered, self-indulgent. He's actually kind of a jerk. And I don't know about you, but that actually sounds like a pretty good description of sin and sinfulness. And maybe from a certain point of view, pretty good description of you and of me as well. See, ultimately, what sin is, if you want a definition for sin from a theological standpoint, here it is. The definition of sin is that which separates us from God. Be that our behaviors, our attitudes, our words, our faithlessness. And the hard truth of our existence is that we are each and all sinners. I remember very well back in seminary, one of my classmates, we were all student pastors and we were all sent out on the weekend to, to, to preach at little churches. And I remember one of my classmates coming back after having preached on, on a text about sin and he was just you know, full of anguish because he said, I, I, I have such a hard time doing this. And the teacher said, well, have a hard time doing what? He says, I look at those lovely elderly ladies out in the congregation and they're looking at me with such love and I have to look at them and said, you are a sinner. <laughs> we don't like that label, but that is who we are, friends. We are each and all sinners. I love what Craig Barnes has said about this. He says that bottom line, when we come to that silent part of the prayer of confession, we all got something to say. We sin. We willfully separate ourselves from God, our loving Heavenly Father, and we choose to go our own way. Now, perhaps our sin is not to the level of a prodigal son, but guess what? Sin is sin. And if we're being honest, each one of us can own up to a certain amount of rebelliousness against God, of going away, running away from God's purpose for us in our lives. Maybe it's, it's a desire to have more or to be more. 
to the point where it not only separates us from God, but also from the people we love. Maybe it is a a modern-day version of idol worship. That is, maybe if the, the idol in question is, say, money, or fame, or convenience, or or even propriety. Or perhaps it's the notion that we don't need God. That we don't need God's commandments. We're okay on our own. It it really is the all-too-tempting notion and the all-too-prevalent idea in this culture that there is nothing ethically or morally wrong in this life. That everything's okay no matter how egregious or hurtful that behavior might be to others or to ourselves or to God or how it inevitably rips us apart from the inside out until we become like an empty shell, having lost completely everything that matters about ourselves. And all because somewhere along the line, some way we thought in our arrogance and sin, we thought, well, you know, we kind of know better than God. Well, that's what happens with the prodigal. You guys all know the story. He squanders all his inheritance in a wild and undisciplined and, dare I say, faithless lifestyle. And, and of course... Before you know it, he's run out of his father's money, he's completely broke, and he's forced to hire himself out to a Gentile pig farmer, which is, if I might quote William Flippin again, about as un-Jewish as you can get. So here we have quite a picture. To begin with, pigs were considered filthy, unsavory. And we have this young man, hungry and destitute, and he's sitting in the filth of a pigsty. And even more than that, he's envying the slop of those pigs who are all right there chowing down, which put this young man as way below the depths of any kind of dignity. And that's when it happens right there in the middle of the mud and slop and poo of the pigsty. It is the deepest possible ditch that he could ever have dug for himself and the deepest ditch of life itself. Jesus tells us in this story that this young man came to himself. I got to tell you, I think that is one of the most succinct, but one of my absolute phrases, favorite phrases in the parables. He came to himself. Now, other translations, they say that he came to his senses. Love that too. And I love this one. I, I told you that I've been kind of lately reading a new translation called The Voice. This is how they put it. So he had this moment of self-reflection. He asked himself, What am I doing here? Well, that may undersell it a little bit, but it's still good. Because however you want to say it, what matters is that suddenly and at long last, the young man understood. He gets it. Now, 
To be fair, his change of heart might well have been motivated by an empty stomach or, and the realization that even his father's servants were better off than he was at this moment. But nonetheless, at this moment, his journey from sin to redemption had officially begun. The prodigal son began here the process of remembering who he was and whose he was. At the end of the day, he discovered, or rediscovered maybe, that he was his father's son. And that returning home and accepting whatever punishment his father might give was far better than this so-called freedom that he'd run off to find in this foreign country. And again, I, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good description of what repentance is. Metanoia in the biblical Greek, which means turning 180 degrees from where you are. Repentance. And maybe from a certain point of view, that is, it tells of what happens to you and me when on the uncertain journey of life we come to ourselves. Maybe you've heard the story, something of a fable, if you will. I just read it, I think, for the first time this past week. And it kind of says this for me completely. It's the story about the kite who was flying up in the air, but was very unsatisfied by its circumstances. And the kite kept saying to itself, you know what, if I could only get rid of this string, this string is what's holding me back. If this string wasn't attached here, if it wasn't holding me back, I could really, really fly. I could fly as high as I ever wanted to. I could fly high, even as high as the clouds. If I could just get rid of this string, nothing, nothing at all would stop me. Well, one day the kite got its wish. Its string got broke. But instead of flying high, <laughs> the kite came crashing down. Because you see, what the kite did not realize is that the very same string that kept it down, the string that he kept complaining about time and time again, what was, was the, also the thing that was keeping it aloft, that was keeping it flying. Cutting the string didn't make the kite freer. It just kept it apart from that which made it fly in the first place. So it was for the prodigal. And so it is for us. God, who is our Heavenly Father, is the one who holds each one of us in a loving and lasting embrace. God is the one who keeps us from falling on the frequent occasions when we've already begun to fall, out of control sometimes, even on those times when we've fallen so far and so hard that we are afraid that we could never possibly pull ourselves back up. God is the one 
who gives us that unending support. It's love unending and it's love guaranteed. This is what Jesus wanted the scribes and Pharisees to know. This really is what comes at the very heart of the gospel. And it is what is our good news today. As the late Peter Gomes put it, no one is too far gone. No one is too low. No one is too abased. Nobody is too bad to be removed from the unconditional love of God. That's the first thing we need to know. It's graceful love, freely and abundantly given. And the beauty part is that all we have to do to receive it is to get up and go home. Of course, you know, I need to add here that the prodigal son himself, he didn't understand this quite yet. At this point, he's just decided he needs to go home and lay himself at the mercy of his father. In fact, you know, he's got this great speech prepared. It's full of confession and just the right amount of humility. And he's thinking to himself, Jesus doesn't say this. This is a Lowry translation. He's thinking to himself, this might just work. And so as we leave the prodigal today, as Juliana con concluded the reading for this morning, the prodigal is set off to go and see his father. And I'm sorry, you're just going to have to wait till next Sunday to see what happens. For now, suffice to say that the very first steps of this young man's redemption had already taken place. And it happened at the moment when he came to himself, when he came to his senses and realized who and whose he was that he was his father's son. And so it is for you and for me, beloved. Perhaps today is that day for you and for me. Maybe this is the day that we've awoken to the, the ways that our lives and living have somehow, maybe inexplicably and unintentionally, have left us estranged from God. How maybe we have gotten ourselves somehow, some way, so caught up in all the rest of the strain and stress and the minutiae of our lives that we suddenly look around and realize that we have brought ourselves further apart from God's love and care than we ever, ever intended. Could be, maybe, I don't know, could be that right now you'd like to be anywhere else at all than where you are in your life at this very moment. Maybe you'd just like to get back to who you are and where you belong. Well, the good news for you and for me is that we can. We can. And if that's the case for you this morning, then maybe it's time for you to Get up and go home. Who knows what might happen when we get up and go home and we stand before the Father. 
Who knows? Maybe it would be something like grace and mercy. Maybe what was lost will be found. Maybe what we thought was dead would be alive again. Maybe despair will turn to celebration. Could be. I guess we'll just have to see. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Coming to Yourself. The first message in a series of messages that we're calling from a certain point of view. It was recorded during our September the 25th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I would love to have the chance to welcome you, and I know you'll be glad you came. And that brings us to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.